I don't know if you guys know this. My whistler broke. Where is Kenna? Come on, do you guys know the song? Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note, but don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Worry, be happy now. All right, I'll, I will stop and stop torturing you with that. Who in their right mind does not want to be happy? Anyone? The desire to be happy and to do what makes us happy is inside all of us. In fact, in America, we place such value on happiness that it was written into the Declaration of Independence. If you're not familiar with it, this is what it says. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with, by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It makes sense, right? We understand, we know that our God is a good God, and what kind of good God doesn't want his people to be happy, amen? So, if he wants me to be happy, then it must be my God-given right to pursue happiness. We often live our lives with such conviction that God wants us to be happy. We end up believing that Jesus said, just do what makes you happy. But did he though? Did Jesus really say, do what makes you happy? Let's look at those red letters in our Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. And let's Let's see what Jesus had to say about being happy. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself. Set aside selfish interests and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. And follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living and, if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is life with me for all eternity. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Wealth, fame, success, but forfeits his soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like happiness to me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, endure, suffer. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Did Jesus say there might be death involved? Because listen, 
if I'm going to do what makes me happy, it's not doing any of those things. So when we talk about happy, when we talk about being happy, in our culture, in our understanding, it carries this hedonistic tone to it, meaning that whatever we find to give us pleasure, that is what will make us happy. That's hedonism. And that's the way that we use happy or happiness today. But the, origi the, the origin of the word happy in the Old English language is hap, H-A-P-P, which means luck or chance. When you read through the Bible and you find that word happy in the Bible, in the Hebrew, it means to be straight or to relieve or to bless or prosper. And in the Greek, when you find the word happy, it, it actually means blessed, straight up blessed. So in the Beatitudes, you know, Matthew chapter 5, when we read blessed are those who, you can substitute happy. Happy are those who, and fill in, fill in the blank. Because in Greek, happy means to be blessed. Now you can put your finger in Matthew chapter 5 because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. So Jesus in Matthew 16 is saying that if we are going to follow him, if we are going to live for him, be his disciple, receive salvation from him and live our lives for him, then there are certain things he says that we must do. These, he doesn't say, hey, I suggest you do those things. If you do those, these things, they might be a good idea. They are not recommendations. He says, if anyone wishes to follow me, they must. Number one, he says, deny yourself. This is the setting aside of all of our selfish desires and ambitions. We, we all have this natural bent to being selfish, right? No one had to teach me growing up how to be selfish. On the contrary, they had to teach me not to be selfish. I have never seen a child yet that had to be taught how to use the word mine. They somehow just know that's mine, my toy. And if they're on the playground and it's not their toy, but they see it first, it's now their toy. Mind. And if some other child touches that toy, they will rush over and rip it out of their hand, declaring, mine. Because we have this natural bent inside of us to be selfish. But we teach our kids. We teach them to be kind. We teach them to share. We teach them to think of others. But it's not natural. Our culture, our culture teaches us to stick up for number one. I look out for me. Look out for yourself. Do what makes you happy. Jesus says, if you want me, if you want to be my disciple, then it's no longer about you. And you must actually deny yourself. Deny those natural desires for self-satisfaction and self-promotion. So because life with Jesus isn't about you. Jesus continually teaches throughout the, throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the, that the last will be first. That the greatest is the servant of all. He says, love one another. And that word love, that's agape love. In the Greek, it means love, to, to love someone and to want the best for someone above yourself. It's putting someone else first. Jesus says, prefer one another. And he says, wash feet. Paul goes ahead and he picks up the same, the same teaching. My favorite verse 
in almost the whole Bible, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul writes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer about I. The life I now live is done by faith in Jesus who loves me and loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not about me. It's all about him. And then it's all about everybody else. See, not only are you second, not, not second, but you are below that. See, Jesus is first, and then it's about other people, and then it's about you. All of me for all of Jesus. This is not easy. We have a hard time denying ourselves. We have a hard time denying our desires and even our natural desires. We have such a hard time denying our desires that we struggle skipping a meal just to fast and pray. Do what makes you happy. It's more like deny yourself. And he says, you must take up your cross. So what does it mean to take up your cross? Look at this next picture. That's what it means to take up your cross. You could also refer back to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 that, that I just read. I have been crucified with Christ. Now what this does not mean is that you wear cross-shaped jewelry. Or that you tattoo crosses on your body. Or that you wear clothing with crosses on it. Or that you slap a cross-shaped sticker on your bumper. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but that does not mean taking up your cross. See, the people that Jesus was talking to when this was recorded and written down, they understood the reference. They had seen people crucified. They understood the suffering and the humility of, of the person who was about to be crucified picking up and carrying their cross and being paraded through the city up to the hill where they were to be nailed to that cross, suffer and die on that cross. Jesus is saying that we, his disciples, th those of us that call ourselves Christians, those of us that say, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a believer, he says then we must have a willingness to endure whatever may come our way. We endure it all for the sake of Jesus, who endured it all for the sake of us. Right? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, him is Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are his joy, and he endured for us. His example is that of putting the will of the Father before his own will. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, spending the last few hours and minutes and moments before he is arrested and crucified. He is praying in the Garden, and he cries out to the Father, and he says, not my will, but your will be done. See, that's the example of Jesus. And this has got to be the cry of all of Jesus' followers. Not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but what do you want? 
See, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. Take up your cross is not a symbol to identify with. It is a way of life. It is death to what I want and life to what Jesus wants. It is the way of a follower of Jesus because it's his will, not mine. Look at this next picture. That's us. Explain in Jesus what it means to take up your cross in America. Touch your neighbor and say, we've got it rough. We don't really have it rough. We don't. Then number three, Jesus says, you must follow me. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Then you must follow him. And following is more than going to church. Following is more than just posting Jesus stuff on social media, which if we're all honest with ourselves, we often struggle with that. It's more than just listening to worship music. It's more than just listening to sermon podcasts. Following me is not following the conference circuit and attending the latest conference of the hottest preacher. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant that we should believe in him, who he is, what he did, and what he said. It means to believe him because you can't just believe in Jesus. You actually have to believe him because the devil believes in Jesus, but he does not believe Jesus. It means that we take the scripture and we don't bend the scripture around our lives to make it suit us. It means that we bend our lives around scripture. It means that we are the ones that change. We are the ones that adjust when we read it in the word. And we find out that we are wrong or that we've done something wrong or said something wrong or we've got a bad attitude or we're, we're prideful. It means that we change. We don't change scripture because it makes us feel uncomfortable. You lean into being uncomfortable and allow it to change your life. Following me does not mean that we are to look like every other Christian around us. Now listen, I know and I understand. I've read the word. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? But what if you're following someone that doesn't really look like Christ? Then you just become a poor replica of somebody who is a poor replica of the original. It's like photocopying a, 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 you know, a document. You have the original and you make a photocopy of it, it's good. It's, it's probably near exact. But if you continue to photocopy off of the photocopy, eventually what you're left with doesn't really look like the original document anymore. Eyes on Jesus. Follow me doesn't stop at inconvenience. Follow me doesn't stop at pain or suffering, but it carries right on through all of those things. And if need be to the death, all for the sake of Jesus. I think that's something that we don't quite understand, you know, in, 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 Western, in the Western world, in North America. We don't quite understand what it means all, all for Jesus.
This doesn't sound like do what makes you happy kind of teaching. This same passage from Matthew 16 is also found in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. But Luke records something a little bit different, a little bit extra context for us. And he says in verse 22, he says, The Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, must suffer many things, suffer, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Jesus goes into, if you want to be my disciples, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. See, the context of deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me is suffer, rejection, and be killed. This is the imminent situation for many believers in the world today. If we just pay attention literally to the front pages of the news, what's happening in Afghanistan as the Taliban is is hunting down Christians. I read a story that they are banging on doors And they're demanding to see people's phones. And if they find a downloaded Bible on the phone, then that person is executed. We have somehow turned Jesus' teaching of surrender into do what makes you happy. So back to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus goes on to say that if you try to save your life now by avoiding the deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me part of the teaching, then you will eventually lose your life. But if you lose your life by following him and living in Jesus' ways, then you will find your life for all of eternity. What does it benefit us to do what makes us happy now and in the end lose our soul? There is no benefit. There is no upside to that. At the end of it all, no one's going to look back after they've lost their soul and been like, well, you know, I, I had a good time. I had a good time on my way to. Happiness is fleeting. It's circumstantial. We talk the origin origin of happy is luck or chance. The origin of happiness is happenstance, which is based on circumstance or coincidence. And your circumstances change, which means your happiness changes. It comes and goes. But Jesus remains. Jesus is constant. Don't pursue happiness, pursue Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to life. He is the only way to life. Life here is the Greek word zoe, which means absolute fullness of life. It means genuine. It means full of energy, strong and healthy. It refers to the blessing of God on someone's life here and now, but not just now, but for all of eternity. It's like that, it's like, it's like ever increasing blessing. I'll choose life in Jesus all day, every day over just being happy. I, I don't know about you, but I've lived the do what makes you happy way of life. I lived it hard. You know what I found out? I wasn't happy. I was miserable. There was a season in my life as a young adult where I did just look after number one. I did whatever I wanted. It didn't matter how someone else felt or thought or what their opinion was of what I wanted. I did everything to satisfy my own pleasures. If I didn't enjoy it, I didn't do it. 
And I would lay down at night and I would wake up in the morning miserable, depressed, with a giant hole in my life thinking, what on earth am I even doing? Do what makes you happy does not lead to happiness. But if you insist on being happy, this is what Jesus says about being happy. Back to the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, specifically verses 11 and 12. Blessed or happy, because it's an interchangeable word, are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, you want to pursue happiness? This is biblical happiness. It's found when we deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus and we start looking like him and talking like him and acting like him and then people reject you and they insult you and they persecute you, then you're happy. When you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're in good company. You're in the company of some of the greatest people who have ever walked the face of the planet. Just read through the New Testament. Heck, read through the Old Testament of the prophets who were killed all for the sake of, 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 of God. I was reading in 2 Chronicles today and, and, and I read a story of a prophet who spoke out against the king because the king was going sideways and started following all kinds of false gods. And it literally says that the king murdered the prophet, persecuted for God. Just read through the history books of the New Testament church those who were persecuted and martyred for King Jesus, those who counted themselves worthy to lose their life for Jesus. You read through the reformers and those who lost their lives for this book because they believed this is the word of God and they were burned alive because they simply believed what the Bible said. So when you're persecuted, when people reject you, they insult you and they mistreat you because of Jesus' name, because of the life you live, because you look like, sound like, talk like Jesus, then you're in good company. Dr. Paul David Tripp says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is rescuing you from thinking that you can live the life you were meant to live while relying on the inadequate resources of your wisdom, experience, righteousness, and strength. Thank you, Jesus, that you rescued me. The happiness that people seek, it's an illusion. It doesn't exist. It's not real, and it's not achievable, but life, life to the full, now and for all of eternity, that is achievable. That is real. It is not an illusion, and it's found only in Jesus. See, if we seek only to do things that bring us the most happiness, then when trials come our way, then when persecution comes our way, then when temptation comes our way, we will choose the easy way out. Because we believe that God just wants us to be happy. And I don't feel happy when I'm persecuted. I don't feel happy when I have to deny and, and, and reject and resist the temptation. So I take the easy way and I just lean into whatever feels good. 
we will always make the decision that will bring the most pleasure and the most satisfaction rather than choosing to do what is right. The only way to live your best life is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Guys, I know this is not the greatest of messages. This is not one that everybody loves, right? It's like the promise of Jesus that, that nobody holds on to and declares in this life you will have trouble. I've never not once heard anybody hold on to that promise and to declare it, right? That's nothing that we hold on to, but it's a promise. So this seems like kind of a little bit of a downer message. But Psalm 16 and 11, David writes this. You will show me the path of life. We've already, already read. Where's the path of life? It's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. David, pre-Jesus, is saying, prophesying, you will show me the path of life. And then he goes on, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forever. If your happiness is based on circumstance, then your happiness can change when your circumstances change. But your joy is not based on your circumstances. It's not based on your quality of life. It's not based on your standard of living. It's not based on how many friends you have, how many likes you have, how many shares of the post that you get. None of that touches your joy because your joy is found in Jesus. And when your joy is found in Jesus, who never changes, who never shifts, who's always the same, yesterday, today, and forever, then your joy is not touched when your circumstances change. And in, at his right hand, is pleasure forever. If you want to know what pleasure is like, cozy on up to the right hand of the Father. That's where you're going to find pleasure. Pleasure that doesn't leave you broke, busted, and disgusted. Pleasure that leaves you filled and fulfilled and satisfied. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Where's the path of life? It's follow Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's not the easy way, but it is worth it. It is worth it. Do what makes you happy? Jesus never said that. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for pursuing happiness above all else. I know there's times when I've gotten it wrong. Forgive us for getting it wrong and for displaying a false truth of Jesus just wants you to be happy. When what you really want is you want us to follow you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come and that you'd convict us of a do-what-makes-you-happy kind of life and that we would in turn deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. When it's not popular, 
when it's uncomfortable, when it causes us pain, when it's something that we have to endure and it's not enjoyable. But God, may we always find our joy in you and pleasure at your right hand. God, we don't want fleeting happiness. We want eternal life and joy and pleasure with you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and this is, you're, you're like, I don't know, but there's something here and you want to begin your relationship with Jesus and, be, and begin that process of deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Just, just raise your hand and just wave it at me. And we'll take a minute, we'll pray for you. Yeah, I see that hand. Father, I pray for this one that raised their hand. Jesus, wrap your arms around them. Hold them tight. I pray that they would encounter your love and your pleasure over them, that you would wash them clean, and that you would enable them through your power, through your strength, to take up their cross, denying themselves and following you. In Jesus' name. Amen.